is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. You know, it really is amazing that Donald Trump was elected president of the United States. Not for all the reasons that have been stated, although those are pretty amazing. But there was this um, underground effort. This underground effort um, to take him down. We know about Hillary Clinton's campaign and the DNC using apparatchiks at the Kremlin to put together a document that was provided to the FBI, that was pushed out to the media, that was filled with smears and character assassination and lies and so forth, where some Republicans in Congress are still trying to get to the bottom of it, some real reporters are still trying to get to the bottom of it, and we know that led, in part, to domestic political surveillance of a Republican candidate or individuals associated with a Republican candidate for President of the United States and later his transition. Really a spectacular abuse of power for which the Democrats make excuses and for which the media cover up. And there was a lot of this going on. And now we learn, again, thanks to John Solomon and Allison Spahn. And you may have heard about this throughout the day. I don't know. That Lisa Bloom, the daughter of Gloria Allred, who has been controversial uh, in the recent past with Harvey Weinstein and those allegations, was involved in a scheme apparently to pay women to come forward and with their allegations of sexual harassment against candidate Trump. The Democrats were doing everything conceivable, like Soviet apparatchiks, to take out Trump. And the media didn't care, the media didn't dig into it because the media agreed with them. Let's see how much Resonance this John Solomon and Allison Spahn piece get in the Hill newspaper. Let's see how much resonance this gets on the Sunday shows this weekend. Let's see if the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the rest of them covered in any significant way, if at all. Can assure you if the shoe were on the other foot, all these scandals would be the scandals of the century. And these are big time scandals, folks. Whether it's Uranium One, Fusion GPS, the leadership of the FBI, the prosecutors in the special counsel's office, the senior official at the Department of Justice and his wife, and now this. As they wrote, a well-known women's rights lawyer sought to arrange compensation from donors and tabloid media outlets for women who made or considered making sexual misconduct allegations against Donald Trump during the final months of the 2016 presidential race, according to documents and interviews. California lawyer Lisa Bloom's efforts included offering to sell alleged victim stories to TV outlets in return for a commission for herself, 
arranging a donor to pay off one Trump accuser's mortgage and attempting to secure a six-figure payment for another woman who ultimately declined to come forward after being offered as much as $750,000, the clients told The Hill. Pardon me, I'm struggling with this uh, cold that I now have. The women's accounts were chronicled in contemporaneous contractual documents, emails and text messages reviewed by The Hill, including an exchange of texts between one woman and Bloom that suggested political action committees supporting Hillary Clinton were contacted during the effort. Attorney Bloom, who has assisted dozens of women in prominent harassment cases and also defended film executive Harvey Weinstein earlier this year, represented four women considered, uh, considering making accusations against Trump last year. Two went public and two declined. In a statement to The Hill, Bloom acknowledged she engaged in discussions to secure donations for women who made or considered making accusations against Trump before last year's election. She said, donors reached out to my firm directly to help some of the women I represented, said Bloom, whose clients have also included accusers of Bill Cosby and Bill O'Reilly. Bloom said her goal in securing money was not to pressure the women to come forward, but rather to help them relocate or arrange security if they felt unsafe during the waning days of a vitriolic election. She declined to identify any of the donors. And while Bloom noted... She represented sexual harassment victims for free or at reduced rates. She also acknowledged a standard part of her contracts required women to pay her commissions as high as 33% if she sold her stories to media outlets. How sleazy is all this? Our standard pro bono agreement for legal services provides that if a media entity offers to compensate a client for sharing his or her story, we receive a percentage of those fees. This rarely happens, but on occasion, a case generates media interest and sometimes, not always, a client may receive an appearance fee, she said. As a private law firm, we have a significant payroll, rent, taxes, insurance, and other expenses every week, so an arrangement where we might receive some compensation to defray our costs seems reasonable to us and is agreed to by our client, she added. Now, Bloom told The Hill she had no contact with Clinton or her campaign, but declined to address any contacts about super PACs that supported the Democratic presidential nominee. Josh Schwerwin, the communications director of Priorities USA Action, the largest pro-Clinton super PAC, told The Hill the group had no relationship with Bloom and had no discussions with her about supporting Trump's accusers. One Bloom client who received financial help from Bloom was New York City makeup artist Jill Harth. The former beauty contestant manager filed a sexual harassment lawsuit against Trump in 1997 and then withdrew it under pressure. The news media discovered the litigation during the election and Hart's name became public in the summer of 2016. So she asked Bloom to represent her in the fall after hearing Trump describe her allegations against him as false and became a vocal critical, a critic of Trump. I consider myself lucky to have had Lisa Bloom by my side after my old lawsuit resurfaced, she advised me with great competence and compassion, Hart told The Hill. Hart said she did not originally ask Bloom for money, even though her cosmetics business suffered from the notoriety of the campaign stories about her. But later, Bloom arranged a small payment from the licensing of some photos to the news media and then set up a GoFundMe.com account 
to raise money for Hearth in October of 2016. Jill put herself out there, facing off with Donald Trump. Let's show her some love, the online fundraising appeal set up by Bloom's husband declared. Set up by Bloom's husband? The effort raised a little over 2300 bucks. Bloom then arranged for a donor to make a larger contribution to help Hearth pay off the mortgage on her queen's apartment in New York City. The amount was under $30,000, according to a source directly familiar with Hart's situation. Public records show Hart's mortgage was recorded as extinguished on December 19, 2016. I have two questions about this. We're going to have John Solomon on next hour. I'm going to continue, but a couple of questions here, really. This kind of money changing hands in the politicization of sexual harassment claims, I would think that they have to be reported as campaign expenditures to the Federal Election Commission. Because the entire purpose here is not justice. The entire purpose here is to defeat Donald Trump. The timing, the publicity. Number two. Number two. For a lawyer to conduct herself this way, to raise money through campaign funds, through donors, to get people to go public and accuse a presidential candidate right before the election, or somewhat close to the election, which makes it nearly impossible for them to defend themselves, of course, that's the point. And to profit from that? Does that not seem unseemly to you? Hart said the payments did not affect the merits of her allegations. Well, of course they did. You had filed a lawsuit, and then you pulled out of a lawsuit. You claim you were pressured. I don't know what happened to her, but then she shows up 20 years later. She alleges that during a January 1993 meeting at Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate, the future president pushed her up against a wall and groped her, trying to get his hands up her dress. Nothing that you've said to me about my mortgage or the GoFundMe that was created to help me out financially affects the facts of the veracity of my 1997 federal complaint against Donald Trump for sexual harassment and assault, she told the Hill. But she dropped the case. And she came public again after she got the support of Lisa Bloom. Of course it raises significant, rational, credible questions. Having to retell my experiences of Donald Trump's harassment is the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Okay, so the coincidence of money has nothing to do with it? I mean, honestly, ladies and gentlemen. Trump has steadfastly denied assaulting or harassing women, even after a videotape surfaced in September 2016, which he can be heard boasting that famous men like him, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to repeat it. Hearth is currently writing a memoir about her whole experience, but without Bloom's help. A memoir? Bloom acknowledged arranging financial help for Hearth, who she said had lost income because of the publicity surrounding her allegations. Wait a minute, Mr. Producer. Didn't they say she was going broke already? She endured a tidal wave of hate for it. It was very painful for her. And as a New York City makeup artist, Jill lost jobs after she came out publicly against Donald Trump. I believe that people wanted to donate to help her, so we set up a GoFundMe account, she told The Hill. Well, apparently not. They raised $2,300. 
The Hill does not identify the names of victims of sexual assault or harassment unless they go public on their own, like Hearth did. But one woman, who did not go public with allegations, agreed to share her documents and talk to the Hill about her interactions with Bloom, if the Hill honored its commitment to maintain her anonymity. Both that woman and Hearth, who were friends, stressed that Bloom never asked them to make any statements or allegations except what they believed to be true. And yet, why is Bloom on the scene? Let's just stop right there. Why is Attorney Bloom on the scene? Why is she in the middle of this? To get justice for these women? No. To politicize their accusations or to politicize their circumstances. That's why she wanted to stop Trump. She's a liberal hack. In an email, excuse me, their texts and emails indicate Bloom held a strong dislike of Trump, though. Bloom is the daughter of Gloria Allred, another prominent attorney who's representing a number of women who've made accusations of sexual misconduct against Trump. Let me ask you, did Gloria Allred ever represent any of the women who made accusations against Bill Clinton? I don't think so. That's why she and her daughter are phonies. Are phonies. They don't stand for women's rights or feminism or against sexual harassment. They stand for liberal Democrats and doing whatever they can to help them get elected. That's my opinion anyway. In an email to the unnamed woman, Bloom said that her story was further evidence of what a sick predator this man is referring to Trump. Documents also show Bloom's efforts to get alleged victims of sexual assault or harassment to come out against Trump intensified as Election Day 2016 approached. When Hearth, for instance, informed Bloom she had just made a Facebook post urging other women to come forward about Trump in October 2016, the lawyer texted back, quote, Wow, Jill, that would be amazing. 27 days until the election. And when a potential client abruptly backed out of a pre-election news conference in which she was supposed to allege she was sexually assaulted at the age of 13, Bloom turned her attention to another woman. That woman, Hart's friend, went back and forth for weeks with Bloom in 2016 about going public with an allegation of an unsolicited advance by Trump on the 1990s beauty contest circuit. Give us a clear sense of what you need, and we will see if we can get it, Bloom texted the woman a week before the election. I'm scared, Lisa. I can't relocate. I don't like taking other people's money, the woman wrote to Bloom. This woman had more ethics than Bloom did. Okay, let's not do this then, Bloom responded. We're just about out of time anyway. Out of time for what? If you're going to represent a woman who is said to have credible claims of harassment you know, for Don- against Donald Trump, how would you be out of time? Because the clock was ticking on the election. That's what this was about. The woman then texted back demanding to Bloom to know why there was a deadline. What does time have to do with this? Time to buy Trump? To, excuse me, time to bury Trump? You want my story to bury Trump for what? Personal gain? See, that's why I have trust issues. So who is it that's abusing this woman? Sounds to me like it's Lisa Bloom. The woman told The Hill in an interview that Bloom initially approached her in early October through Hearth. She said she considered coming forward with her account of an unsolicited advance by Trump solely to support her friend Hearth. Not because she had any consternation with Trump, who ended the advance when she asked him to stop, she said. Well, how is that sexual harassment, Mr. Bedus? I mean, honestly. I don't know if it's true, but let's just pretend the name is, is, is not Trump, but it's uh, Ernie Grabowski. 
and I don't know what a sexual advance is in particular here. And the woman says no, and he walks away. Is that what we're talking about? I don't know what we're talking about. Anyway, I want to complete this. I think it's important. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. piece of journalism, real journalism. Let's see. If somebody were to pay off your mortgage and you're near destitution, you're broke, might that influence your memory? What do you think a jury would think of that? Yeah, I think they'd think it's crap. I think they have a huge problem with it. And the reason I'm spending time on this is because of the endless stories of sexual harassment, starting with Hollywood, moving to the media, moving to the Democrats. Then, of course, uh, that uh, took out a Republican in Alabama. Hasn't taken out many Democrat elected officials, has it? Well, yes, Al Franken. Well, when his day comes, he'll be replaced by another leftist, not by a Republican. And then we have this stunning, stunning story, real journalism. And it is amazing with all the journalists out there, thousands of them, and the hundreds of news platforms out there, that here's John Solomon with the Little Hill newspaper breaking these stories left and right. Imagine if we had real journalists out there digging. I'll finish this story when we return. Levin, simply the smartest man on radio. And you can call him 877-381-3811. So back to this uh, smear campaign, another one against Trump that we just found out about. So this woman texts lawyer Lisa Bloom, Laura Elridge's daughter, back, demanding to know why there was some deadline, why, why Bloom was in a hurry for her to go public. She said, what does time have to do with this? Time to bury Trump? You want my story to bury Trump for what? Personal gain? See, that's why I have trust issues. And the woman told the Hill newspaper in an interview that Bloom initially approached her in early October through her friend Harth. She said she considered coming forward with her account of an unsolicited advance by Trump solely to support her friend Harth. Now remember, Harth had her mortgage paid down. Had her mortgage paid off. And was in deep financial trouble. The woman said Bloom initially offered a $10,000 donation to the woman's favorite church, an account backed up by text messages the two exchanged. Please keep the donation offer confidential except to your pastor, Lisa Bloom, wrote the woman on October 14, 2016. When Bloom found out the woman was still a supporter of Trump, she was still a supporter of Trump and associated with lawyers, Friends and associates of the future pre- future president, she texted a, texted a request that jarred the woman. Quote, when you have a chance, I suggest you delete the August 2015 Facebook post about supporting Trump, Bloom texted. Otherwise, the reporter will ask you how you could support him after what he did to you. Your call, but it will make your life easier. The woman declined. I hate to say it, she said, but I still rather have Trump in office than Hillary. Okay, I respect that, said Bloom. Then don't change anything. Now, let's wait here one moment. This is going on in the middle of October 2016. Now, just to show you the forces arrayed against Trump, 
at the same time, unrelated to each other, but at the same time, the FBI and the Justice Department was preparing to go to or had gone to the FISA court with an application influenced in significant part by a dossier that is a 35-page smear job paid for by the Hillary Clinton campaign and the DNC to uh, unleash domestic spying, the extent of which we don't know, domestic political spying on the opposition campaign. These were the forces that were arraying against Trump. And it is amazing that the man was able to win. It really is. These are the things we're learning now. Back to the story. Eventually, the two decided the woman's continued support of Trump was a benefit to her narrative. If she went public with her accusations, the messages show. I love your point about being a Trump supporter, too, Bloom texted on October 14, 2016. The text messages show the woman made escalating requests for more money. By early November, the woman said Bloom's offers of money from donors had grown to $50,000 to be paid personally to her and then even higher. Quote, another donor has reached out to me offering relocation security for any woman coming forward. I'm trying to reach him, Bloom texted the woman on November 3, 2016. Later she added, call me. I have good news. Incredible, isn't it? hope it wasn't Harvey Weinstein. The woman responded that she wasn't impressed with the new offer of $100,000, given that she had a young daughter. She wanted more money. Hey, after thinking about all this, I need more than $100,000. College money would be nice for her daughter, plus relocation fees, as we discussed. The figure jumped to $200,000 in a series of phone calls with Bloom that week, according to the woman. It would be incredibly important to know who these donors are. Wouldn't it? Now, the support was promised to be tax-free and also included changing her identity and relocating, according to documents and interviews. Now, listen to this. They wanted this woman to come forward right before the election. They would change her identity. She'd find her, they'd find her a new location. They'd give her hundreds of thousands of dollars tax-free. All, of course, because they wanted to help the poor woman not get Trump. Lisa Bloom told The Hill that the woman asked for money as high as $2 million in the conversations, an amount that was a non-starter. But the lawyer confirmed she tried to arrange donations to the woman in the low six figures. She asked to be compensated, Bloom said, citing concerns for safety and security, and over time increased her request for financial compensation to $2 million, which we told her was a non-starter. We did relay her security concerns to donors, but none were willing to offer more than a number in the low six figures, which they felt was more appropriate to address her security and relocation expenses. Who are these dark forces behind the scenes that donated money and were willing to donate more money? Who are they? The woman said that when she initially talked to Bloom, she simply wanted to support Hearth. She had no interest in being portrayed as an accuser receiving money. When Bloom's mention of potential compensation became more frequent, woman said she tried to draw out the lawyer to see how high the offer might reach and who might be behind the money. Just a few days before the election, the woman indicated she was ready to go public with her story, then landed in the hospital and fell out of contact with Bloom. 
The lawyer repeatedly texted one of the woman's friends on November 4, 2016. Remember, the election's November 8th. They're desperate now. But the friend declined to put the woman on the phone, instead sending a picture of the client in a hospital bed. Bloom persisted, writing in a series of texts to the friend that she needed to talk to her hospitalized client because it could have a significant impact on her life and a big impact on her daughter if she did not proceed with her public statement as she had planned. She's in no condition for visitors, the friend texted Bloom back. Now, here's a lawyer who's supposed to be representing her client, protecting her client, who is, in essence, harassing her client. Hurry up. We need you. we got to get Trump. We talked about this. I've gotten you a lot of money if you want it. If you care about her, you need to leave her until she is feeling better, the friend added in another text. Lawyer Lisa Bloom hopped on a plane from California to come see the woman on the East Coast, according to the text messages and interviews. The next day, the woman finally reconnected with Bloom and informed her she would not move forward with making her allegations public. Bloom reacted in a string of text messages after getting the news. Of course, Bloom is very disappointed. She's been working hard, you see, for this. Bloom wrote, I'm confused because you sent me so many nice texts Wednesday night after my other client wasted so much of her time and canceled the press conference, Bloom texted, on November 5, 2016. That meant a lot to me. Thursday you said you wanted to do this if you could be protected, relocated. I begged you not to jerk me around after what I had just gone through. Maybe we do need a congressional hearing. Maybe we do need Lisa Bloom. Maybe we do need to know who these donors were. What do you think, Gillibrand? A little later, Bloom added another text. You've treated me very poorly. I've treated you with great respect, as much as humanly possible. I have not made a dime off your case, and I've devoted a great deal of time. It doesn't matter. I could have done so much for you, but you can't stick to your word, even when you swear you will. So she's now berating her client, who she was going to make quasi-wealthy through donors who were out to get Trump. After the woman was released from the hospital, she agreed to meet Bloom at a hotel on November 6, just two days before Trump unexpectedly defeated Clinton. The woman told The Hill in an interview that if the hotel encounter, Bloom increased the offer of donations to $750,000, but still she declined to take the money. Who are these donors? Mr. Producer, would you see if counsel, if counselor Lisa Bloom would come on the program, please? Let her know her mother made an appearance here many years ago. We'd love to have Lisa Bloom on the program to tell her side of the story. I'd love to have her on. You know, equality. I believe in equality. The woman texted Bloom that day, saying she didn't mean to let her lawyer down. You didn't let me down, Bloom texted back. You came and spoke to me and made the decision that's right for you. That's all I wanted. See, Bloom got wise to this and said, I better cover my tuchus. Bloom confirmed to the Hill that she flew to Virginia to meet with the woman after she had changed her mind several times about whether to go public with her accusations against Trump. Bloom told the Hill, quote, we invited her to meet with us at the hotel restaurant. She accepted. Ultimately, after another heartfelt discussion, she decided that she did not want to come forward, and we respected her decision. You know, this reads almost like a novel. When's the last time you heard me read an article like this from beginning to end? Very rarely. But this one, this one beats them all. Bloom said the donor money was never intended to entice women to come forward against their will. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. 
Nothing can be further from the truth. Some clients ask for small photo licensing fees, while others wanted more to protect their security. Do you need $750,000, Mr. Producer, to protect your security? I really don't think so. Bloom declined to identify the name of any donors who would have provided money for women making accusations against Trump. Hearth and the woman who decided not to go public say they never were given any names of donors because Bloom is covering up the donors. But Bloom told the women who declined to come forward that she had reached out to political action committees supporting Clinton's campaign. Hello? Hello? Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton's campaign, it shows up in all these scandals. It's my understanding that there is some Clinton super PAC that could help out if we did move forward, the woman wrote Bloom on October 11, 2016. If we help the Clinton campaign, they in turn could help or compensate us, question mark. Bloom wrote back, let's please do a call. I've already reached out to Clinton super PACs and they are not paying. I can get you paid for some interviews, however. Now, the woman who ultimately declined to come forward with Bloom told The Hill that she stayed silent for an entire year afterward because she didn't want to call attention to her family. She said she supported Trump in 2016 and that she had held no resentment about the early 1990s advance because Trump stopped it as soon as she asked him. Well, stop what? I mean, why is this even an issue? I don't even know what Trump did. Does anybody know? Doesn't matter. She was offered three quarters of a million dollars. And she says she remains friends with many people associated with the president to this day, including one of his best personal friends and a lawyer who works for one of the firms representing Trump. The woman said, however, no one associated with the Trump White House or the president forced her to come forward or made any offers to induce her to talk to the Hill. She said she agreed to do so only after she became disgusted to learn this past October that Bloom had agreed to work in defense of Weinstein. I couldn't understand how she could say she was for people like me and then represent someone like him. And then all the money stuff I knew about, I just became frustrated, she said. Bloom dropped her representation of Weinstein as the accusations piled up against him, telling BuzzFeed that it has been a colossal mistake. Now, nearly from the beginning, Bloom made clear to the woman she would have to pay her law firm a commission on any fees the attorney arranged for media outlets, willing to pay for the woman's story. According to a copy of a contract, as well as a text message sent to the woman, quote, outlets with which I have good relations that may pay for your first for you first on camera interview, revealing your name and face, inside edition, Dr. Phil, lawnews.com. Bloom texted the woman just weeks before the election. My best estimate what I could get for you would be ten to $15,000, less our one-third attorney's fee. If you're interested, I'd recommend Inside Edition or Dr. Phil as they're much bigger. Dr. Phil's doing a show on Trump accusers next Tuesday in L.A. and would fly you here and put you up in a nice hotel and pay for your meals as well with your daughter if you like, Bloom's text added. Media moves very quickly, so you need to decide, and then once confirmed, you need to stick to it. Representatives of Inside Edition and Dr. Phil said they did not pay any Trump accusers for appearances last year. Well, we know that. No, she says they would prospectively pay. That's what she said. <coughs> Bloom's firm sent the woman a media-related services contract to represent her for... Sp- Boy, I'll tell you what, Mr. Producer, this representation 
of these sexual harassment cases. Boy, they get complicated, don't they, with the fees and the contracts and the hurry up, we got deadline stuff. Looking out for women, don't you think? Bloom's firm sent the woman a media-related surfaces contract to represent her for speaking out against Donald Trump, quote-unquote, that laid out business terms for selling a story in the most direct terms. Quote, you will compensate the firm 33% of the total fee that you collect. Whether the media deal or licensing fees is for print, internet, radio, television, film, or other medium, Bloom's proposed contract, dated October 10, 2016, read. The woman said she signed the contract. When Bloom found out in early November, the woman and the friend had discussions with CBS News about doing an interview on their own. The lawyer texted back, CBS does not pay for stories. A little later, Bloom sent another text suggesting the arrangement she was making could be impacted by the unauthorized media context. You and your friends should not, should not be shopping the story. It will come back to bite you, Bloom texted. And this whole thing we have worked so hard to make happen will go away. What do you think of this, ladies and gentlemen? What do you think of this? I'll be right back. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I will be here on Monday and Tuesday. Hello. Hello. I will be here Monday and Tuesday. I will start the, the period off the air on Wednesday, and I'm coming back. What's the date, Mr. Producer? January 3rd? And I'll be back January 3rd, but I will be here Monday and Tuesday. Doing a lot of holiday shopping from your mobile device? You know, retailers expect 54% of holiday shoppers to visit their sites for mobile devices. Scammers see this as an opportunity to steal your credit card information and other personal data by distributing phony retail apps. Be cautious and only download apps from reputable app stores and read the reviews for any complaints about malware. One in four people have experienced identity theft. If you're only monitoring your credit, your identity can still be stolen in ways you may not detect. Thieves could sell your information on the dark web or get an online payday loan in your name. LifeLock detects a wide range of identity threats. Now, if you have a problem, U.S.-based restoration specialists will work to fix it. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But LifeLock can uncover threats that you might miss. Join now and get 10%, 10% off with promo code LEVIN. That's L-E-V-I-N. Call 1-800-LIFELOCK, 1-800-LIFELOCK, or go to LifeLock.com. Use promo code LEVIN, that's L-E-V-I-N, LEVIN, to save 10% now. A couple of... Items, personal privilege, if you will. First of all, a young lady who grew up, who I've known for years and years and years, and her name is Shaler, and her maiden name is Bowen, and she's getting married. And I want to wish her all the very best. Number two, there's a lot been going on in this bunker a lot of changes being made to this bunker, and it's a lot of work to do that sort of thing, isn't it, Mr. Producer? Floors and paint and so forth and so on. This bunker hasn't been upgraded and updated for 15 years. And I don't like change. You know, I, I you know, get used to stuff, but change in that respect is necessary. And for that, I want to thank my beautiful wife and her beautiful mother. It's the season. 
It's the season to say these things, to recognize these things, to appreciate people. And I, I very much do. All right, let's take some calls. What do I have, 30 seconds? Well, then let's do this. <clears throat> have you ever done a radio show with a massive cold? Seriously, does it sound like I have a massive cold? I think it does. I'm doing my best not to cough, not to sneeze, not to shoot things across the room, not to do it. Ah, but I'll make it. I'll make it. Stick with me. We have two hours left. By the way, we're going to have John Solomon on the program this hour, this coming hour, to go through some of the more specifics of this. What is this, the fourth or fifth massive scandal against Trump? Against Trump. I'll be right back. With a daily fake news dump pouring through your TV, mobile phones and computers, you may have missed some real news like the recent study in the journal Cell Metabolism. Scientists suspected a correlation between growing rates of obesity and processed foods, but what this study discovered was that these foods also appear to lead people to overeat. Here's the bottom line. You need fresh fruits and vegetables in your diet, which is why I recommend that you start taking Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. It helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. This is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickhouseLevin.com, that's BrickhouseLevin.com, and you'll get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. You know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickhouseLevin.com, BrickhouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Remember the other three women who came forward? Uh, Gillibrand uh, was talking about them, and they had a press conference the other day. Remember that, Mr. Producer? And there was another left-wing group, some media group, that was involved in funding the event. I don't know who got money, who didn't get money, who was offered money, and so forth. The Democrats play for keeps, folks. The Democrats play for keeps because the Democrat Party, the Democrat Party uh, used to be a fairly conservative party. I'm talking about post-Civil War. Post-Civil War. The first progressive president was a Republican, was Theodore Roosevelt. The next progressive president, of course, was Woodrow Wilson. And in between, you have Howard Taft, who would be considered sort of a rhino Republican today. And the only thing to break that up was the election of uh, Coolidge. Well, he first took office. Um, He ascended to the uh, presidency. Then he ran for re-election, and he won. Harding died, and he had been Harding's vice president, and he replaced Harding. 
there really have only been two conservative presidents in modern American history. There have been Republican presidents, but really only two, and that would be Coolidge and Reagan. The Bushes weren't conservatives, and I mean people who are pressing the principles. I don't mean people who are perfect, but I mean people who are solid and are pressing the agenda. So it certainly wasn't the Nixon, Eisenhower, you can go back, but uh, Coolidge and Reagan, and they were two tremendously successful presidents. And so that really makes you think, doesn't it? I think we need to realize, I think we need to accept the fact that while Republicans talk conservative, they run the government progressive. I think they're more Theodore Roosevelt in many respects than they are Coolidge or Reagan. And I would add, I think the so-called conservative media, or the pseudo-conservative media, and their editorial writers, are more Theodore Roosevelt than they are Coolidge or Reagan. And certainly McConnell and Ryan and all of them. They're more progressive than they are conservative. I think we're going to have to accept that fact. We have this effort to claim or create a new movement of populist nationalists. Populism is not conservatism. Populism is a an abstraction or a theory that lends itself to progressivism. You cannot be a populist or a small-D Democrat and believe in small-R republicanism, constitutionalism, unalienable rights for the individual, because those rights have nothing to do with democracy, little-D democracy. They have nothing to do with majority rule. They are God-given rights. Your property rights, if they're to be voted on, as John Adams pointed out, would be lost. If people could vote on whether or not You could keep your property. They would vote against you. Adams understood that. Jefferson understood it. All the founders understood that. And so there were certain things they said, no, this is not about voting. It's not about little d democracy. The government needs to be set up in a way as to protect the individual and the civil society in which the individual functions, not the other way around. There's really no strong party identification with what I just mentioned, that belief system. And I'm starting to think even even among some of the most conservative members of Congress. I'm starting to think that. I mean, there truly is a relative handful. That's it. That's it. And the case is never made. The case is never made for liberty. The case is never made for individualism. The case is never made for private property rights. You know, I don't know what this tax thing is going to be. I see different pieces of information being presented. I checked again at the top of the hour. We don't have a final bill proposed and so forth. So I, I'm not going to just repeat again what appear to be the uh, the points, but we're not certain. But this thing was cobbled together not for the purpose of limiting the size of government, not for the purpose of cutting taxes across the board. I mean, even Marco Rubio going on about the uh, tax deductions uh, 
for people with modest incomes. Uh, it ought to be raised uh, from a thousand to two thousand dollars, and then you have others arguing, other groups, and this sort of thing. That's not the argument. It's a left-wing argument. Class warfare is a bad thing. Instead, what he and the others should have been arguing for was across-the-board tax cuts, rather than more and more people paying no taxes. A society cannot survive if more and more people pay no taxes and get to vote for somebody else to pay more taxes. And so there's this, this effort to promote a movement that really comes out of progressivism. That's this populist notion. If you think, I don't really even know how to do this anymore. I don't want to keep saying read, rediscovering Americanism, but if you read on your own, let's do it that way. Rousseau. Rousseau. If you read on your own, Hegel. You don't even have to get the marks. If you read just those two, and there's a lot to read, and it's not easy. Or read what I've written about them, if you like. You'll see this whole idea of populism, or modern-day progressivism, is anti-individualism. It's anti-individualism. They, they conflict. And the Constitution creates the balance. And it's the Constitution that's being eviscerated by the progressives, because they don't want the balance. And this kind of populist agrarian movement, which really isn't a movement. It's a few people who press the case. Uh, but I, I am concerned, and I'll reiterate what I said yesterday, that the, the intellectual side of the conservative movement is very weak. It's very thin. Most of the great thinkers have gone. Some of them are still with us. Thomas Sowell, and I won't go down the list. There's a lot. Walter Williams, not a lot, but several, and I don't, I don't want to mess up. George Reisman. But we have to turn to Milton Friedman and Bill Buckley and Hayek and Mises and so many others. And so many others. These, these, these are the modern voices, but most of them have passed away. There just are not a lot of modern voices anymore for liberty, for private property or the Constitution. And you're not going to find them in Congress, the vast majority of them. We get hung up on who the winners and the losers are. Well, we're all the losers. And everything is viewed now through the lens of the media. And if you didn't know before, you certainly know now that for the most part, the media are completely out of control on the left. They're leftists. And they're dishonest. There's a very good piece in, uh, in the Weekly Standard by Mark Hemingway. I believe he's the husband of Molly Hemingway, who I'm a big fan of over there at the Federalist website. And I'm not going to read the story to you, but he has a very good list of recent media screw-ups. And they all go one way. They're all anti-Trump. They're all anti-Republican. How many media screw-ups can you remember that were anti-Obama or anti-Democrat? Almost none, right? Well, we get virtually on a daily basis 
this fraudulent so-called news reporting, and sometimes the media will correct themselves, and sometimes they won't, and most of the time they create a murky response when they're caught. A murky response. And it's almost now not the exception but the rule. Not the exception but the rule. We'll be right back. Mark California on the Mark Levin app. Go! Thank you, Mr. Levin. Big fan of your show. Um, I've been thinking about this and how it plays in with the stories you were talking about earlier, is that the ideas of liberty and self-determination, which the Republican Party has branded itself as being the home of, have been under attack for my whole lifetime. And it's hard for me to continue to see the Republican Party, who again has declared itself the home of these ideals, to not understand that they are at war, that the left ideology is at war with them. And they're fighting this war to win, and they're fighting this war to bury our ideology. And, and Eric, not only do they not grasp it or accept it, even those handful of people who are earnestly trying to confront it and stand up to it and, and articulate the case against it, they seek to destroy them within the Republican Party. And they use progressive media outlets to do it, the Times, the Post, Politico, you name it. it. It happens in the streets, too. I live in Los Angeles, and a lot of people who hold those same ideals and who would dare to defend the attack that our president has been under are ostracized, and there are real-world repercussions. You know, it kind of makes us closeted in our thinking out here, and it's unfortunate that it has to be like that. And I think that if we don't stand up and really fight... And well, what do you make of this Lisa Bloom story, which is what you originally wanted to talk about? Yeah, it's just more of the same. It's Gloria Allred's daughter. They are part of the entire machine that is dedicated to wiping out individualism. I mean, it's a pretty, pretty large, you know, cause and effect, but all the evidence that you've laid out, especially in your last little monologue you had over the last 20 minutes, I think all support that idea, and I think a lot of the people that voted for Trump, and I did myself, I really liked Ted Cruz, um, but Trump Trump was a fighter, and he was unapologetic that he would be a fighter, and I think we're tired of seeing people not stand up and fight for those let me, ideas. Let me ask you another question. <clears throat> Given what Trump has done and has tried to do, whether it's the courts, regulations, uh, nation-state that is not uh, abandoning sovereignty and not conferring it onto the U.N., trying to appropriately and rationally confront North Korea, trying to undo what Obama did, selling out to Iran, holding up his promise on uh, Jerusalem and Israel, and on and on and on. And while we don't agree with them 100%, we agree with them a lot. How can these so-called conservatives, writing for these so-called conservative sites, I mean, I can understand they may not like him personally, they may not like the way he tweets, they may not like his language and all the rest... But how can they deny, as a substantive matter, that this man has been quite a conservative president so far? They, I, I think they're just kind of living high on the hog and the little niche they've created themselves, and they feel very comfortable. I'm, I'm gonna, let me try this on you. Most of those same people were strongly against Roy Moore, even before the Washington Post article came out. And that's fine. 
I don't think Roy Moore and Donald Trump are the same by any means. But what was interesting is when Roy Moore went down to defeat, they were almost celebrating. They were almost giddy about it. Oh, I told you so. I told you so. And it is that mentality, is the parallel that I see, where they're trying to prove themselves correct after all the tweets, after all the postings on Facebook, after all the columns, after all the TV appearances, on and on and on. They want to be demonstrated as having been right. So they want Trump to fail so they can claim for their own careers and their own reputations that they were right. What do you think about that analysis? I think that's pretty spot on. Um, I vehemently disagree. There are, is no such thing as a moral victory. There is victory and there is defeat, and that's one thing I kind of agree with what Steve Bannon had said about it. And I think in the words of one of my favorite Americans, General George S. Patton, one of my favorite quotes was to the effect of the point of a war is not to die for your country, it's to make the other poor, dumb, expletive die for you. Right, 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 right. I know. I've quoted it many times. I don't think you're addressing my point, though. My point is I think a lot of these guys, these never-Trumpers, who are still never-Trumpers, are driven by personal animus, are driven by <clears throat> personal ego, are driven by... And, and they demonstrate it. I told you so, and uh, he was everything I said he was. And, and uh, even some of the people, when he recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, which so many people thought would never happen, because past presidents had promised, past candidates for the presidency had promised and never done it, even there, many of them couldn't give him a, even just a little salute. All right, sir. Thank you for your call. Ed. Fairfax, Virginia, the great WMAL. Go. Yeah, Mark, love your show. Uh, I'm an 80-year-old conservative. And, God bless uh, you. <laughs> and I have just a couple basic questions. I happen to know a 92-and-a-half-year-old conservative. You oh, know? yeah? Well, it's called my no. father. Go right ahead. <laughs> yeah, this. Uh, my questions are about this Lisa Bloom. Uh, mm-hmm. A couple things. One is uh, she told these people, you had said, that uh, their compensation would be tax-free. I don't know how she has the authority to do that. Well, what would happen was whatever taxes she would owe, uh, these donors apparently would cover the tax bill, too. You there? Yeah, I'm there. Uh, The next one, with all the evidence of these uh, uh, texts going back and forth, it would seem to me this lady probably has saved all them. And if that's the case, is there any laws broken here for slander or anything like that? Well, I don't say there can be any slander laws, but uh, I, I do question this campaign side. I mean, this was obviously driven, at least as far as Lisa, Lisa Bloom is concerned, uh, not so much protecting these women. She's talking about deadlines and getting the money and on and on and on. It was about... Uh, changing the outcome of the election. So just like Hillary Clinton and the DNC uh, using Fusion GPS to coordinate with the Russians against Trump, Uh there's the collusion. Uh, Here you have Lisa Bloom going to major, obviously major Democrat donors. She won't reveal them, uh, and it's too bad. Uh, Somehow we would like to know the names of these people and hold them to account. They should be proud of themselves, don't you think? Look what we tried to do, but they're not because they're squirrely, they're sleazy. so the point is, um, and you know what? They may they may benefit from all this. It's I think it's still going on today. This uh, shadowy kind of uh, 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 other government. 
going on out there, working with the media, leaking stuff to the media, people like Brian Stelter and Don Lemon and uh, and Joe Scarborough and so forth. I just, you know, all, all this sleazy um, gutter activities going on out of the view of the public. Hey, Ed, thanks for your call, my friend, and you're in Fairfax, Virginia. It's very icy out there. Be careful. It is very icy out there. I'll be right back. Conservative Fire. The Mark Levin Show. Call in now at 877-381-3811. You know, not many colleges can claim they're 100% financially independent from both federal and state governments. In fact, I can think of only one college in the entire nation that refuses every penny of funding of any kind from any government. And that's Hillsdale College. Now, let me tell you why they do that. Because government money comes with strings. And Hillsdale refuses to have government bureaucrats dictate what and how they must teach or run their campus. From the beginning, in 1844, Hillsdale was provided a world-class education that upholds America's founding principles and preserves the blessings of civil and religious liberty. Everything Hillsdale does, from the financial aid that 97% of its students receive to the completely free online courses it offers you. Depends on generous donors who recognize the worth of independence. Financial freedom preserves the integrity and excellence of a Hillsdale liberal arts education. Attracting the nation's brightest students in scores of fields of study from music to biology to business, Hillsdale College teaches their students to pursue truth and defend liberty. Learn more about how Hillsdale College helps all of us become better, more independent citizens, and how you can help Hillsdale further freedom at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Now, I spent a good chunk of the first hour going through in great detail this piece in the Hill newspaper, Prominent Lawyers Saw Donor Cash for Two Trump Accusers. And the major reason she sought money for these two Trump accusers was to get them out in public and get them out in public as close to the election as possible and hoping, hoping to affect the election outcome. And the two reporters who broke the story, John Solomon and Allison Spahn, John Solomon's with us. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Mark. Good to be with you. Good to be with you. Let me ask you a question, John, generically. You've written a lot of exclusive breaking stories over the last several months. where You, you don't read them anywhere else. And I have to tell you, I've known you a long time. There are hundreds and hundreds of journalists out there, and there are scores of news outlets. How is it that you come up with these stories, and they just kind of repeat what's going on each day through these talking points? I'm serious well, about I, your profession. Yeah. It's, a great, it's a great question, and I often wake up some days and don't recognize the profession that I got into 30 years ago. And the fact is today that... Um, a lot of reporters don't seem to have an interest. They're not curious. They don't challenge the st- official storylines that they're given. They just live with what's handed out to them. And unfortunately, I was raised to be a uh, a, con- a contrarian, and and uh, and I was I grew up in a, a family full of Irish cops, and it made you always challenge and be curious. And and when other people are going in one way with pack journalism, I've often reported against it. You know, back in 9/11, when everybody said we got sucker punched, I showed that the intelligence community let us down. And when other people were still gloating in Bill Clinton's early election, I wrote the early Whitewater and fundraising scandal stories. So I've always sort of marched against the drum and 
and hopefully over time we've, we've brought value and created some real stories that, that uh, have changed people's dialogue. That's what I thought journalism should be about, and that's what I continue to try to do. And you wrote many groundbreaking stories on the IRS and IRS audits being pushed by politicians before this, this last IRS scandal even happened. That's right. No, well, for a long right. time. And I remember you and I worked on a story about what the, the guards at Gitmo did a long time ago, right? The, a story right. that never was told. And, uh, right. But, you know, part of being an investigative journalist is looking for things that others missed, and I've been blessed to work at places that, that allow me to do that. Well, there's scandal after scandal here, isn't there? I mean, the Uranium One scandal is a really, really sure. big deal. The Fusion yeah, yeah. GPS, right, right. You, you've, been, you've been involved in breaking all these stories, and now you have another one, and it is another incredible story. I, I read these things, and I wonder how Donald Trump ever got elected president of the United States. Lisa <laughs> Bloom is the daughter of Gloria Allred. Lisa right. Bloom, did she seek out these two women? Or did they seek her uh, out? The first, uh, the first woman sought her out, uh, Jill uh, Hart, sought her out after uh, her story started to get scrutiny, and she wanted someone to defend her in the public uh, square. And then Jill introduced her to the second woman, who was sort of an unwilling, un- didn't really want to come forward, didn't really have any animus against Donald Trump, in fact, liked Donald Trump. And early on, when um, when um, Lisa Bloom's trying to help her tell the story, she actually instructs the woman, maybe you should get rid of your Facebook post supporting Donald Trump, it'll make your story more believable. But she's like, I'm not changing that. And uh, it, it became very insightful. So the first woman reached out to Bloom, then she connected it to the second woman. And as the election got closer and closer, the second woman watched these offers of money go up. First, it was 10000 to her church, then 50000 to her personal pocket, then 100000 to her personal pocket, then 200000 to her personal pocket. And then three days before the election, it got to $750,000. And when you're reading the text messages, it feels a little bit like a really bad game of Monty Hall. You know, you're swinging the wheel and you have different doors, and each time you open the door, the dollar figure gets a little higher if you're willing to come out and make the accusation before the uh, before the election. Isn't it obvious then, based on what you just said and what you've written, that Lisa Bloom wasn't representing this woman to help this woman? Lisa Bloom was representing this woman to get her story out as close to the election as possible. You know, I, I've always tried to keep my opinions to myself and stick to the facts, but I'll tell you something in the text messages that I think answers that question, at least on behalf of the woman. The woman who actually was in, going through this negotiation with her at some point snapped because uh, Lisa Bloom said, it's almost, we're out of time. And she said, why is there a deadline for this or, uh, when it's about my wishes, right? Why is there a deadline? And are you just trying to do this to hurt Trump and to make a buck? And, uh, and you'll see that text message out there. So the woman at least thought that was what was going on, and she she snapped at Lisa Bloom and and had that thing. And then there's another set of text messages where you can see Lisa Bloom very angry that the two women wouldn't go forward. There was a woman who was going to go forward on November 3rd, and she bailed out of the news conference. And later that night, Lisa Bloom texts a message saying, uh, she wasted my time. Now, what lawyer trying to represent a person finds it a waste of time because the person made a decision against, you know, that was in their best interest, right? And then later, the other woman who's now still contemplating but going back and forth, what does Lisa Bloom say to her? Stop jerking me around. And so you see this sort of pressure and this tug and this pull that I've seldom seen in the relationship between lawyers and clients. And, uh, you know, the text messages speak for themselves, and I'm sure people will come to their own conclusions. In fact, Lisa Bloom flies across the country from California that's right. To meet with this woman who's been in the hospital for a period of time, and and the right. implication that I'm reading here is to really encourage her to come out and come forward as soon as possible. Right. That's right. Is that, is that correct? At a hotel. That, that's right. In fact, the day she was in the hospital, there was a friend with her, and that friend refused to put her on the 
phone because she knew that this woman was was ill and 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 she says she's not well to talk right now and if you care about her just leave her alone until she's better and uh and lisa bloom then jumps on a plane comes across the way and as soon as the woman gets out of the hospital they start communicating again and then they set up the final meeting the meeting at the um hotel and as the woman describes the meeting it's a remarkable meeting which is you know what we'll take to get you to come out and 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 they said and now the offer is up to 750 and this is how it was structured according to the woman if you give it, I'll give you $350,000 now. And then if you go make the recording and make your allegations on tape, then you'll get the second $350,000. It's sort of structured like a business transaction. And that's how the woman describes it. And, you know, people will draw whatever inferences they will from that. But that's the woman's official account. And uh, Now, the woman and, the woman who is known, her last name is Hearth. That's um, Bill Hearth, right? Was she broke? Uh, yes. And, and she said... Uh, and, uh, was she bankrupt? I don't know that. I don't know anything. But she was financially broke. She, she, what she described to me is that she's a working person and that some of her business as a cosmetic artist in New York went down after her allegations became public. And so, yes, she, she was hurting for money. And what two things, uh, uh, three things happened. First, uh, Lisa Bloom sold a few of her photos for some money, got her a few thousand dollars. Then they set up a GoFundMe. Let's just stop there a second. So, so Lisa Bloom. Right. Is selling photos of the accuser to the media. The media, in That's turn, right. is paying her money. That's right. She keeps a third of it, as I understand, a commission in That's some cases. That's what the contract cases. says. Yeah. That's right. Uh, that the contract she keeps a third, and the rest goes to her client. That's right. Okay. So that's Go the ahead. first transaction with Lisa Hart. Then uh, the second transaction on or around October 13th, about a month before the election, a little bit before the month before the election. There, uh, they set up a GoFundMe site. And basically, the GoFundMe site says, "Give." It's an online fundraising appeal. Give money to Jill Hart. Show her a little love because she's taken on Donald Trump. Now, let me stop you there. So, as you write, Lisa Bloom's husband sends up that account, right? Yeah, it's actually under his name, but uh, but Miss Miss Bloom, Lisa Bloom, acknowledged that you know she set it up. So the firm set it up. Her husband works at the firm. That's how it works. Okay. So, yep. Third point. point. Yep. Uh, well, they make $2,300 there. And then uh, somewhere after that, Lisa Bloom has a donor come forward and arranges to pay off the mortgage of Jill Hearth. And, and somewhere between October and December, that mortgage gets paid off. And on December 19th, it's officially recorded as extinguished in the, okay. in the records. So let's hold so off. That, so, so her mortgage is miraculously paid off. Yeah, and not democracy. It's known that it was a donor, an anonymous donor provided an the money. An anonymous donor. Now, yep. throughout the story, you point out, we don't know who these donors are. That's right. That's well, right. let me ask you a question. We're talking about lots of money here. I mean, even the payoff of the $30,000 mortgage, I believe, was in the article and so forth and so on. How do we find out who these donors are? Because t- to me, I don't know that you can, but to me, this is a big part of the story. Number one, did they skirt campaign finance laws? Because this was about, with Lisa Bloom, at least in part, primarily, trying to affect the outcome of the election. But number two, That's right. why won't they tell us who they are? What are they hiding? Shouldn't they take credit for it? Yep, uh, that's, a, that's a question that today, it's funny, Mark, after the story broke, several lawyers reached out to me and said, there could be an election issue here. If the donor's intent was not just only to support the women, but also to have an impact on the election, which might, might be insinuated from the text messages and the, and the pressure of the, of the uh, you know, to get it done before the election, it could be considered an electioneering expenditure. So that's an interesting thing I hadn't thought of. We got to do more reporting on it, but uh, a lot of lawyers came forward. A few lawyers came forward today and raised that as a question. So 
we, we need to know more. The one thing we do know is that somewhere in October, Lisa Bloom texts the woman, the, whose name we haven't used, and says, uh, I've talked to the Clinton Super PAC, and they're not paying right now, but I can sell your story. And and uh, and so you see that pivot. You see some uh, conversation about hey, this will help Hillary Clinton. Don't you think someone can pay us some money for it? And and then uh, Lisa Bloom writes back, um, uh, I've talked to the Clinton Super PACs, and they're not paying right now, but I can you know, sell your story. So I can get you money for an interview. And uh, and so you see that raw conversation. And there's you know what you learn in this is that there's money, there's politics, there's pressure, and then there's the very personal decision of these women whether they want to come forward or not. And it's all mixed up into one big giant soup pot. I'm going to assume, and maybe I'm wrong, and you'll correct me if I am, that the Washington Post, the New York Times, uh, CNN, MSNBC, and Politico have shown absolutely no interest in your story so far. You know, uh, I haven't seen a whole lot of headlines yet. Uh, it's a sensitive story. People might want to take a little bit of time to corroborate these text messages. The good news is that Lisa Bloom has confirmed everything. She confirmed that she sought six-figure donations to the one woman, confirmed that she paid off the mortgage and did the GoFundMe, and she confirmed that she had these contracts that, uh, in return for selling the women's story to tabloids, that she'd get a percentage commission as high as 33%. So the story's not in dispute, so it shouldn't be that hard for other media to follow it. I have seen some pickups, but not a lot yet. But, you know, I think people will take time. I think if you're a responsible journalist and you care about both sides of the Donald Trump story, you have an obligation to tell this side of the story as well as you have for when you you wrote about the women. And I hope that responsible news organizations will take the time and do their own reporting, come to their own conclusions, and, and give this the attention that it deserves. Do you know right now whether there are other women who are so uh, uh, treated or their representation secured by Lisa Bloom? There appear to be others. There are some I've had some communication with, but not in a position to report any information from them. I think the most important thing we can deduct from the statement that Lisa Bloom gave to me was that she used the word multiple women. Donors came forward to help multiple women who are her clients. So we have two that we know of. Uh, There could be more. Lisa Bloom says that there were a total of four clients that considered uh, going forward and raising allegations against Trump, two who did, two who didn't. And uh, I would assume there are more. Now, I'm working on a story tonight uh, about another possible angle, another financial potential angle, and that is that one of the accusers may have, before her accusations came out, approached Donald Trump directly for a job or for an investment in her company. And we're working on that tonight, and I think we'll learn more about that over the weekend. But, uh, you know, when you start to see a trail of money, you have to assume there might have been other inferences of money or business dealings going on. And I think when we're all done, we'll realize that this – often portrayed as a black-and-white decision about coming out uh, with allegations, often has a business, a political, and a personal component to it. We'll learn a lot more, I think, in the next few days. But, John Solomon, if, in fact, a person comes forward and wants a job or wants something from the president and doesn't get it and threatens uh, to go public with something or other, Mm -hmm. um, could that not be blackmail? It could be. I don't, I don't think the case rises to that level. I think what's interesting about the case is that this woman, at the moment when she's seeking the job, seems to be suggesting that Donald Trump has been great for women and then later uh, portrays him as having assaulted her. And so people have to look at that and decide, you know, which version of her account, the version she's telling Donald Trump when she wants a job or the version when she's out of the campaign uh, as an accuser during the middle of the campaign accusing him of sexual assault, which one is right. And I think, you know, unfortunately, we didn't know this stuff at the time. Reporters 
uh, you know, who would have thought as a reporter you'd have to ask the question, were you paid to come out, right? Or did you mm-hmm. receive any money in, in, in connection with this? So uh, I think we're learning new things, and when we put the whole paradigm together, people will know everything. They'll know what the women did before and after the allegations, who paid them, who represented them, what the representatives are making in money if they sell the stories, and, and people then can make their own All conclusions. Right. Well, who paid them to me is really big deal. John Solomon, I, I want to thank you very, very much for uh, having the courage to actually report like the old journalists used to do. Well, you take care of yourself. Your attention. I will. All right. Have a good day. God bless. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Are you all pleased that we have Facebook, Twitter, Google, Instagram? Well, that's the sort of stuff that's invented if you have an open and free Internet. That's the sort of stuff that's invented if you have an open and free Internet. There's no such thing as net neutrality. Either the government controls the Internet or it doesn't. You let them in the door and they will control it. This is what we've learned. So when you have morons on the left, morons like Jimmy Kimmel with an IQ of a negative 17, they don't understand freedom. They just want their own freedom. They go along with the crowd because they're stupid. There would be no Facebook, Google, Instagram, and all the rest of it if the government controlled the Internet. Freedom is what makes this country different from all the other countries, not government regulation. Um, If you're like me, your favorite part of going to the mall as a kid was stopping by Mrs. Fields. It'll probably be your favorite part of going holiday shopping this year, this weekend. Something about that first soft bite of the perfect chocolate chip cookie just makes you feel like a kid again. So this holiday season, you can give your friends and family that same feeling of pure joy with a holiday gift arrangement from Mrs. Fields. Mrs. Fields' cookies have been around for 40 years. Everyone knows and loves them. Remember the very first time you had one? It's like you finally knew what a chocolate chip cookie should taste like. They're so soft and chocolatey. Just thinking about those cookies makes my mouth water. And Mrs. Fields' cookies are freshly baked. They're ready to enjoy right out of the box. So everyone can have what they've always wanted right now. Now here's an exclusive for you. For my listeners. Go to MrsFields.com. Click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner and enter code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, and you'll save 20% on any Mrs. Fields product, including their best-selling Peace, Love, and Cookies tin, which comes with holiday favorites like Nibbler's Bite-Sized Cookies, Brownie Bites, and more. Just click on the microphone, enter promo code LEVIN, and you'll get 20% off any product at MrsFields.com. My suggestion, do it quickly. It's Friday evening means tomorrow's Saturday. The weekend's here. Christmas is here before you know it. You can give them for Hanukkah, too. By the way, as I point out, on the East Coast, it's a little after 7.55 p.m., and therefore the federal government, well, it's been closed for three hours. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? We're going to live. That's what we're going to do. I'll be right back. Now, 
now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. President Trump was, uh, as you know, at the uh, Quantico today for the FBI graduating class. And one of the things so many Americans actually like about Donald Trump is he expresses himself out of truth. That is, he gives his views regardless of what other people think. I can remember when he was on this program some time ago, and he was talking about Hillary Clinton's hairdo. Remember that, Mr. Producer? And I said, you know, you're going to get in trouble. And his response was, who cares? And a lot of people can identify with this. You've got these politicians who come out, they're prim and proper and so forth, and then behind the scenes they're dropping their pants uh, with interns. Here's Trump outside the White House. Uh, You'll hear the noise of Marine One uh, today as he's about to go off to the... uh, to the FBI ceremony. Cut one, go. Uh, you'll have to make that determination. We're hoping. For- well, let me let me set it up properly. He's asked. The question is: Is the special counsel biased? Go ahead. Uh, you'll have to make that determination. We're hoping for a very. L- let's put it this way: There is absolutely no collusion. That has been proven. When you look at the committees, whether it's the Senate or the House, everybody walked my worst enemies. They walk out. They say. There is no collusion, but we'll continue to look. They're spending millions and millions of dollars. There is absolutely no collusion. I didn't make a phone call to Russia. I have nothing to do with Russia. Everybody knows it. That was a Democrat hoax. It was an excuse for losing the election. And it should have never been this way, where they spent all these millions of dollars. So now even the Democrats admit there's no collusion. There is no collusion. That's it. And we got to get back to running a country. What we have found, and what they have found, after looking at this really scam, is they found tremendous, whatever you want to call it, you're going to have to make up your own determination. But they've found tremendous things on the other side. When you look at the Hillary Clinton investigation, it was, you know, I've been saying it for a long time. That was a rigged system, folks. That was a rigged system. When you look at what they did with respect to the Hillary Clinton investigation, it was rigged. And there's never been anything like it in this country that we've ever found before. It's very, very sad. And while that is often dismissed by the left and the media, one and the same, uh, he happens to be exactly right. It was rigged. Absolutely rigged. She should have been charged, unfortunately, while she's running for president of the United States. The Democrats nominated her, and that's the way it goes. And then they could have put up Tim Kaine. Uh, but um, absolute cover-up. You talk about obstruction of justice, there was your obstruction of justice. Official, institutional, nonetheless, but obstruction of justice. 
And when I was listening to Trump and listening to him explain these things, I actually felt very bad for him. What about Michael Flynn, they asked. Would you consider a pardon for Michael Flynn? Now, when a media type asks this question, it's a setup question to try and get him in trouble. But I thought his answer was, was actually quite good. Cut to go. I don't want to talk about pardons for Michael Flynn yet. We'll see what happens. Let's see. I can say this. When you look at what's gone on with the FBI and with the Justice Department, people are very, very angry. Yes. And what the media will not ask Donald Trump is, what do you think about the fact that 50%, excuse me, 54% of the American people believe that uh, Comey and his investigation is biased, is partisan? You know, that figure pops up and they never mention it again. Won't be mentioned on the Sunday shows either. Why is Adam Schiff on CNN all the time? Why is Adam Schiff on MSNBC all the time? Well, that's a rhetorical question. The reason is the media can try and influence news reports by whom they bring on as guests. Now, there are news programs on cable. And there are other programs that are not news programs on cable, but comment on the news. Wolf Blitzer is supposed to be the host of a news program. In fact, the marquee news news program on CNN. But he's a fraud just like the rest of them. So they keep bringing this Adam Schiff on because they know what he's going to say. They know he's a radical kook. And they know he will parrot the party line. I'm about to prove it to you. Cut three, go. What was the impact of the Justice Department releasing those text messages? Well, from my point of view, it violates the very injunction that Rod Rosenstein uh, took such issue with with James Comey. Uh, he is revealing uh, internal Department of Justice materials during the pendency of investigation and providing them to the press. Uh, what is the explanation for that? There really is no good explanation for that except... Well, let's a, stop. A, let, me, let, me, let me help him out. There is not a criminal investigation of... Uh, the FBI agent taking place, there's an inspector general investigation. Mr. Schiff may not be aware of this, but Mr. Rosenstein is not required to uh, defer to the inspector general's office, even though he's done that many times. He's certainly not required to. The inspector general's office is an internal investigatory office, has no power of any kind of uh, uh, criminal authority, uh, whereas the deputy attorney general does. So I hope this helps Mr. Schiff as he's earnestly and studiously trying to pursue the truth objectively. Go ahead. One from the department. And, uh, and I also think that uh, when you look Let at... Let me also mention that uh, information about this FBI agent was first leaked to the uh, New York Slimes and the Washington Compost for the purpose of trying to help this FBI agent. Uh, even though even the leakers understood that there would be a lot of blowback. But they tried to leak it in a way that would do the least amount of damage, even though the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, on which this fraud sits and apparently has no interest in any of this, um, had been requesting information about this FBI agent's um, demotion for months. And I noticed Mr. Schiff never asked once. Go ahead. So the allegations that the DOJ Inspector General is investigating... They were very selective in what they released. Now, how would you know they're selective in what they released unless you know everything that they have? I mean, this guy is such a clown. Go ahead. Multiple reports last year that the FBI was heavily predisposed against Hillary Clinton. 
uh, and in favor of Donald Trump. While the Praetorian Guard media was quite wrong, wasn't it? We now have overwhelming evidence that says otherwise. And Mr. Schiff, if it were up to you, we'd have no evidence whatsoever. Because you're a clown. Go ahead. If there are text messages that run in the other... Shut up. Done with him. Now, can you imagine that guy chairing the House Intelligence Committee? If the Republicans lose the House, he will run the House Intelligence Committee. Now, there's a man from Connecticut. His name is Richard Blumenthal. He served valiantly in Vietnam. He saw combat. He was shot at, and he shot back. Oh, wait a minute. He didn't? He wasn't? No, but that was the story he constructed early on in his political career. What kind of a psychopath comes up with a story like that? You know, if there's a homeless drunk guy at a bar who goes on and on about his military service like this and he lies, do you know that's an offense? Did you know that, Mr. Producer? Yes. So Richard Blumenthal, rather than being in an orange jumpsuit, is dressed up in a tie and jacket where he can conduct his lies from the United States Senate. And amazingly enough, CNN finds him credible, just like Mr. Schiff. Here's a guy who lied his way into public office, and CNN can't wait to hear about him talking about how credible the case is against Donald Trump. Cut four, go. I am more focused on the investigation now underway in the Judiciary Committee into potential obstruction. Doesn't this guy sound like a guy in a raincoat in the subway? I'm not saying he is, of course. Doesn't he sound like a guy in the raincoat in the subway? If you get my drift. No, I guess that would be Al Franken. Go ahead. I think there's a credible case against Donald Trump on obstruction of justice, and I think that Robert Mueller ought to be... So, in other words, let's end it all now. Mr. Liar about Vietnam has concluded that we already have a credible case against Donald Trump on obstruction of justice. It's all over. Sounds like an old Soviet apparatchik, Mr. Blumenthal does. Go ahead. To pursue it, legislation is necessary to protect that investigation in light of some of the very disturbing comments. Let me show you what a moron is. Legislation is necessary to protect the investigation. From what? Now, ladies and gentlemen, many of you have third graders, and maybe they are taught depending on if you have a decent school district, on how legislation is passed. If two houses of Congress, legislation has to pass both houses of Congress, then this bill, this legislation, is sent to the President of the United States. He signs it, or he doesn't. And so, Mr. Blumenthal, somewhere along the line, during his service in Vietnam, not, he missed this course in third grade. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen... There's no legislation that's necessary, and even if it was, it has to go to the President of the United States to sign. So it doesn't even make any sense. But that's okay. He's on CNN. And I suspect the IQ of most of the 14 or 15 listeners or viewers over there at CNN is quite low, probably lower than the average American. Go ahead. The past days. And let me add that the IQ of the hosts on CNN are lower than the average American. Go ahead. Outside about possible interference in that investigation. And let me add that Chris Cuomo, the dumbest of the uh, Cuomos, his IQ is lowest, lower than the lowest American. You ever watch this guy? I can't even watch this guy. He's such a clown. Go ahead. Investigation of And Russian. as a matter of fact, have you ever seen this guy, Don Lemon? 
you got to be out of your mind to watch this fool. Don Lemon. Why is he on TV? Can anybody tell me? Go ahead. And while you're at it, have you ever seen this guy, Brian Stelter? Brian Stelter? You know, I used to say MSNBC, a.k.a. MSLSD, was a conga line of freaks. You know what? CNN, the Constipated News Network, there's your conga line of freaks right there. Led by the late, great Wolf Blitzer. He's their star, Wolf Blitzer. Wolf, wake up. What? What? Go ahead. Back on our democracy. Right, that's enough. That's enough. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. We'll bounce around a little bit here. Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel has decided that he is going to pander to the low IQ kooks in order to build his audience. And who would know better about low IQ kooks than Jimmy Kimmel? Here he was last night. Cut 11, go. And the FCC did something absolutely despicable today. They voted to put an end to net neutrality. Now, this is the rule that says everyone gets equal access to the Internet. A big company or somebody selling uh, crocheted owls from their... Let, let's just stop. Let's just stop. What does that mean, everybody gets equal access to the Internet? Does anybody know what that means? Can anybody tell me what that means? If you want to get on the Internet, is anybody stopping you from getting on the Internet? If you want to sell something on the Internet, Craigslist or eBay or a hundred other sites, is somebody stopping you? You can use Facebook and Google and you can use Twitter and you can use, uh, what, Instagram and on and on and on. So what does he mean about getting equal access on the Internet? What does that mean? Means nothing. It's stupid. Means stu- it's stupid. People come up with all kinds of cool ideas. They go on the internet. Maybe they'll go on YouTube or the iTunes or who knows what. Who knows what the next great idea or invention will be to use the internet platform to promote it? Who knows? How about apps? Apps you can pick up off the internet. Tens of thousands of ideas on the internet. Not because of government regulation, because the lack of government regulation. It's called liberty. This clown gets in front of a camera. He cuts his bad jokes with his uninformed political comments, which have gotten nastier and dumber by the day. And he thinks he's the only one who should be free. Let me ask you this. Should every comic in America have access to the networks? Mr. Kimmel, should every comic in America have access to your slot on ABC? He's on ABC, right, Mr. Producer? I don't even know. So why does Mr. Kimmel get to monopolize that slot on network TV every weeknight? Because you see, according to Mr. Kimmel, everybody should have equal access. So that means all these people struggling at comedy clubs, doing lounge acts, whatever they are, whoever they are, they should all have a shot. At Jimmy Kimmel's slot. Who died and named Jimmy Kimmel to run it? Why is ABC in charge of ABC? The network should be open to everybody. You get the point, folks? 
You get the point? No, no, equality, equality. No, liberty, liberty. Even look at my business that I'm in. Used to be AM radio, then AM FM radio, then satellite radio. Now digital radio. People podcasting. More radio stations, more radio broadcasts, more radio hosts, more platforms than you can even possibly use. That's freedom. Freedom begets equality. Equality, per se, destroys freedom. And that's what this nudnik will never understand. But I think we ought to have a petition. We ought to demand that Jimmy Kimmel make room every weeknight for a new comic to host the Jimmy Kimmel show. It ought to be the Ernie Grabowski show, the Fred Smith show, the Sally Johnson show, whatever it is. There's no reason why we can't have equality. Equality. Net neutrality? How about TV network neutrality? How do you like that, Mr. Producer? Yes, TV network neutrality. Why only Jimmy Kimmel? Is he the only comic? Is he the only fat, funny guy out there? No, there's many. It's also very sexist. If you noticed on the net, oh, yes, yes, all all men, at least with male genitalia, I don't think they identify otherwise. Oh, wait a minute. All white men. Hey, that's not network neutrality. All white liberal men on all three networks, on the comedy shows, in the slots. That's not fair. That's not network neutrality. And the irony is... The Internet has massive competition, unlike the three big networks. It's incredible to listen to idiots like this. Go ahead and finish. West. Now, as long as they tell us they're doing it now, Internet service providers will be allowed to slow down or block web traffic to any ah, website. Shut up, you idiot. Nobody's slowing down or blocking anything. The only slowdown and blocking is in between your ears. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I shall return. A champion of freedom. You know, you're one of the greatest champions of freedom in this country, if not in the English-speaking world, Mark. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. Hey, Jimmy Kimmel. You say you believe in equal access and net neutrality. You have no idea what you're even talking about, of course. But you say you don't like the big guys controlling the Internet. The little guys should be able to get in. You understand, dummy, that you work for ABC News, right? The ABC network, I should say, broadcast network. Those are three big guys. There are only three broadcast networks. So that's an oligopoly. You work for an oligopoly. You also understand, Jimmy Kimmel, that you have a permanent slot on nighttime TV on the ABC network. You got that? You don't believe in equal access. You don't believe in equal access at all, because you are effectively a monopoly. Otherwise, you would agree that you get one night a year, and all the other struggling comics out there, maybe not even struggling comics, they all get the other nights. Will you agree to that, dummy? No, you won't agree to that, dummy, because when it comes to you, you believe in a monopoly, your own. Your own. 
And the funny thing is, you don't produce anything. You don't invent anything. A free Internet creates all kinds of communication, all kinds of platforms, all kinds of things we can't even realize, can't even imagine today. You, you're predictable. You're a dumb guy posing as a comic and very bad when it comes to understanding what's going on in this country. What a joke. He doesn't believe in network neutrality. This whole debate is stupid. We have this wonderful Internet system. Who could have imagined it? For two years, we've had net neutrality. Hey, here we go. Yeah, here we go. Net neutrality. Everybody's against it. They don't even know why they're against it. They have no idea why they're against it. They get three talking points and all they are. And meanwhile, the FCC is a bomb threat. A bomb threat. A government agency is a bomb threat and everybody's yawning. It's like Antifa's out there beating people's brains in and everybody's yawning. The violent left. But it's Trump's fault. You know, while major senior groups like the AARP lobby for liberal interests behind closed doors, it can feel as if the voices of mature conservatives in this country aren't heard these days. But that's where AMAC comes in, you know. AMAC is the Association of Mature American Citizens. It's a conservative membership organization that fights to protect your interests on Capitol Hill. Fighting to protect America, limit government, rein in excessive government spending, and uphold the traditional values of faith, family, and freedom, AMAC wants to bring back the America you love. AMAC members also have access to first-rate benefits and discounts, including special rates on car insurance, exclusive deals on cell phone service, car rentals, hotels, and a heck of a lot more. With a strong presence in Washington, AMAC is focused on producing solutions rather than rhetoric. AMAC does more than talk. AMAC takes action. I encourage you to join AMAC today. You can enjoy, you can join online at AMAC.us. That's A-M-A-C.us. Help bring our country back to the values upon which it was built. Just head over to AMAC.us and become an AMAC member today. AMAC, better for you, better for America. Well, let's take a call here, yes. By the way, I've been thinking about something. Thad Cochran has been very ill, and he's been very ill for a long time. I'm saying this seriously. He's missed a lot of votes in the Senate. He's chairman of a committee in the Senate, but he can't perform his duties. They have other senators doing it, staffers doing it. When Thad Cochran ran for re-election in Mississippi this last time, the last election cycle when he was up, he was already a very sick man, and everybody knew it. And everybody knew it. He wouldn't debate. He had very few public appearances. He was he could he could barely seriously he could barely communicate well, and so they tried to hide all that, and they did that because Mitch McConnell wanted to elect Thad Cochran to the Senate, not because Mitch uh, Thad Cochran would be a great senator for Mississippi, you know, missing votes and so forth and not being particularly healthy, but because he would vote for Mitch McConnell to be the majority leader. Now this is very very important. This is never discussed. And McConnell is always joined in these battles by Karl Rove. Karl Rove, who is a Svengali. And so, by dirty tricks and racist politics, 
they defeated Chris McDaniels, who was a state senator running in the Republican primary. And now Thad Cochran is constantly in the hospital, and I wish him nothing but the best. I have no animus towards the man whatsoever. He's constantly in the hospital. They're worried about their vote on taxes. Pence has to stay in town. He's supposed to be in Israel giving a speech, but he has to sit in town and wait to see what comes up in order to vote in case he's the important vote, the cast, the, the, the one who casts the vote to pass the thing. Because they don't know if Cochran will be there or not. Mitch McConnell did that. Mitch McConnell was the one who schemed and whose scheme resulted in the ultimate nomination of Roy Moore. For all of you who hate Roy Moore and are beating your chests about how moral you are, it's Mitch McConnell, and I've talked about it at length, and I'm not going to get into it again. But you can look at these Senate seats. We've had lost Senate seats as a result of McConnell. We have senators who are very ill who aren't voting as a result of McConnell. That's you know He's supposed to be the Senate majority leader, not America's... Uh, uh, iron fist for Republicans who gets to decide who serves and who doesn't. The only reason he gets involved in these races in the states is because he wants to be the majority leader or the minority leader. I have never seen this before. Can anybody remember at any time in the past where the Republican leader of the Senate is involved in all these Senate races at the primary level? I think it's truly unique and destructive. Because Mitch McConnell's trying to reach into the state party system, into the Republican primary systems, in order to effectuate an outcome that benefits Mitch McConnell. And then he dresses it up as, you know, the losers lose and the winners, yeah, yeah, we got it, Mumbles. We got it. We understand. We got it, Mumbles. And, of course, he never mentions the rhinos who lose. And a lot of them do. He picks the same three Senate races where the, uh, where the Tea Party candidate lost. I can pick 20 Senate races in which the rhinos lost. Even Barney can. You hear him in the background there? He can't stand Mitch McConnell. When I say Mitch McConnell, yeah, I say Mitch McConnell, I'm walking him outside, the leg goes up. That's what happens. It's instinctive. All right, what am I doing? Am I taking a call here? I think I shall. Yes, yes, let's take a call. Ivan! Laurel, Maryland, the great WMAL, our friend Ivan, go! My hero. Hey, listen, listen, I haven't had a chance to call in recently. I've had to take a second job. But anyway, I just wanted to c- congratulate you on your, on your uh, new show on Fox and tell you what an awesome thing it is to have an American men- administration that stand, stands up for the nation of Israel and, and what a star Nikki Haley is. Hey, Mark, oh I've got goodness, a rhetorical yes. question for you. Yes, sir. If, if, if not one Democrat will support the tax plan, then why do Repu- Republicans still pander to the tax cuts for the wealthy nar- narrative? Mm-hmm. They're not going right. to get one vote. Nope. And if I was Donald Trump... You want to know the- why I think, Ivan? Because I think a lot of them believe that propaganda now. Well, I, I, think, I think you're right, too, but they're fighting against themselves. Mm-hmm. If I was Donald Trump, Mark, I would, I would have give a national speech on the, on the, um, uh, on the tax cuts, the uh, benefits of the tax cuts, as, as well as you know, the state of the economy... And remind the American people that not one Democrat, not one Democrat will vote for tax cuts for the American people. They don't want you to control your own money. Not one Democrat will um, vote for the repeal of the onerous Obamacare plan. And he should remind them that there should be a price for them to pay, for, for the Democrats to pay in 2018, that Democrats have not lifted one finger to improve the lives of, of the American people. Donald Trump ought to give that speech before, before that vote. 
and, and you know, maybe it'll put some heat on some of the Democrats, because right now you, you're going to struggle to get 51 healthy Republicans. Listen, I, I think what you say is very, very important in order to, um, uh, to, to position the argument. And by the way, truthfully, which is what Reagan did, the great communicator, and to lay out the case that the Democrats oppose uh, all Americans, keeping more money. And, you know, and this is the perfect time of the year to do it, during the holiday season. And you can point out all the government waste that takes place, which the Democrats obviously support since they don't favor cutting domestic spending in the least or any of the bureaucracy and so forth. I mean, I, couldn't you, Ivan, I could write this speech in about 12 minutes. Absolutely. And like I said, he, he ought to remind them that Democrats are not doing one thing to help the American people. You know, mm-hmm. and, and come 2018, that, that should play an important part. And maybe it'll change the votes of some of the Democrats. I doubt it. But, hey, Mark, i got one more real quick question for you. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I get so sick and tired of these congressional hearings that don't do anything. And you know, is Hillary going to get? You know, she gets got away with Benghazi, and and uh, you know, corruption is in the DNA of the of of the Democrats. Is there a remedy for the role of the FBI? You know, and, and you know, in this Russian flim plan? Well, there there are several things uh, Congress can do. First of all, they need to get to the bottom of it. And I've I've said over and over again, they should issue subpoenas and then go to federal court. Seek writs of mandamus to enforce those subpoenas against individual uh, indiv- individuals in the FBI at the top at the top levels who are refusing to respond. Moreover, when they uh, they should hold more hearings, put these people under oath, under penalty perjury, and uh, they can actually use the power of Congress to start cutting budgets with uh, with sort of a, a scalpel. They can eliminate offices. They can do these things. Ivan, my friend, thank you for your call. Let's slip in Paul, Long Island, the great WABC. Go. Happy holidays, Mark. You too, sir. Quick comment before I get to taxes. The interview did with Jonathan Lee Iverson was great. Wasn't that fun? Listen, the the Libs killed circus because it stands for things we love. We love our family. We love our community. Talented performers, beautiful animals. It's very sad. Yep. Yep. Listen, with taxes, I see Republicans showing their mugs on TV telling us they're proud of the tax accomplishment, and I can't help to think whatever happened to discussions about black, flat tax cuts across the board. We now have Republicans acting like libs and engaging in class warfare, pandering to interest. No, you're right, and we're, and we're all going to be uh, celebrating, celebrating whatever they come up with, right? Instead of doing oh. the right thing and uniting yep. classes and correcting a broken tax system. No, you're right, Paul. I got to. I got to go. Thank you. I want to get another caller in. Edward Fairfax, Virginia, the great WMAL. Go quickly, please. Hey, I was. Uh, Hello. Uh, you were talking about there wasn't really any risk of. Uh, go ahead. Of go ahead. Go ahead. Anything. I'm here. Yeah. Um, no, no. So, make your point. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, so, like, I use predominantly internet for my entertainment at home. Only Netflix and like Amazon Prime. Okay. And they were already poisoning themselves in 2015 before they put the net neutrality out to start mm-hmm. throttling those services to where they don't function properly. Is that is that not a, a, an do issue? I, do or, I understand you to say businesses that are in business are trying to sabotage themselves? Well, no. Oh, come on, how stupid is that? All right, sir, I got to go. I'm being told I have to. I'm, I'm up against it. I wish you would call next week. We'll get into this more deeply. Thousands of people seeking home security get ripped off every day. You get locked into long-term contracts, stuck writing huge checks with no way out. It's robbery itself, and it can cost you thousands. 
Now there's a smarter way to protect your home with Simply Safe Home Security. These are the guys I trust, and here's why. Simply Safe has no contracts, there's no commitment, no lock-ins, period. You can cancel anytime you want. Simply Safe was built by a Harvard educated engineer to make home security effortless. The system is wireless and portable with a cellular connection built right in. You get professional monitoring with police dispatch, so your home is safe around the clock. And with Simply Safe, 24-7 protection is just 15 bucks a month. Most places charge three times that. It's unbeatable protection at a great value. There are no contracts. Right now, you can get a special 10% discount when you go to simplysafemark.com and order right now. That's simplysafemark.com for 10% off your home security system. Simplysafemark.com. Mark Lovin. Well, ladies and gentlemen, just a reminder, I will, in fact, be here on Monday. I will, in fact, be here on Tuesday. I will take off on Wednesday. We'll be winging off to California to see my kids and grandkids. Then we'll be winging back uh, to where we are. And, uh, and I just hope you have a wonderful weekend. I know many of you are going to be traveling. Many of you are going to be shopping. And, uh, and we should really count our blessings. I think we should count our blessings. After all, Hillary Clinton isn't president, and Adam Schiff doesn't run the House Intelligence Committee. That's that's a pretty damn good blessing, if you ask me. It's Friday!
is officially over. The weekend begins right now. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Good night, Spritey. Good night, Griffey. Good night, Pepsi. Good night, Smokey. Good night, Zelda. Get Al-Qaeda. Get the Taliban. Get ISIS. Get Hezbollah. Get Hamas. Get all those subhuman cockroaches. And I will see you right here on Monday. God bless you and be safe. <laughs>